This is episode 12 with Dr. John Dulyard on Ancestral Health Radio. Learn to align your genetic makeup for peak health, fitness, and longevity with actionable how-to advice from today's leaders in nutrition, movement, and lifestyle. Join me, your host, James Kevin Broderick, as we bridge the divide between modern technology and our inherent ancestral wisdom. Let's take a walk on the wild side. Plant domestication, most scientists think, made its debut some 10,000 years ago with grain storage cropping up about 11,000 years ago. An ancient site in Israel yielded a hardy collection of grains, which were dated to about 23,000 years ago according to a 2004 Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences paper. But such an early appearance of wild cereals in the human diet as this new paper proposes would push the assumed date of substantial grass-seed eating back more more than 70,000 years. This first bit is taken from an article published on December 17, 2009 by author Katherine Harmon for Scientific American. It can also be found on yesterday's post on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. So, if our hunter-gatherer kin were eating cereal grains, why are modern diet fads telling us to avoid them? That's what today's guest, Dr. John Dulyard, breaks down and explains on this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. John argues that it's not the grains, it's your porous digestive tract, and that it's not the dairy, it's your clogged lymphatic system. So what are we to do? Dr. John Dulyard explains how we can heal our gut, drain our lymph, and stoke our lost metabolic fire, all with common fruits, vegetables, and spices. On top of that, in today's episode, you'll learn why our ability to detox is directly linked to our overall health, the deer study, and why your dietary needs change with the seasons, how to make your own prebiotic slime, and much, much more. Dr. John Duyard, DC CAP, is globally recognized leader in the fields of natural health, Ayurveda, and sports medicine. He is the creator of LifeSpa.com, the leading Ayurvedic health and wellness resource on the web with over 5 million views on YouTube. LifeSpa.com is evolving the way Ayurveda is understood around the world with over 700 articles and videos proving ancient wisdom with modern science. Dr. John is the former director of player development and nutrition expert for the New Jersey Nets NBA team. Uh, he's also the best-selling author of seven health books, including his newest, Eat Wheat, a repeat guest on the Doctor, uh, and it's Eat Wheat, not Eat Wheat, a repeat guest, on the Dr. Oz Show and featured in USA Today, LA Times, and dozens of other national publications. He has been in practice for over 30 years and has seen over 100,000 patients. Dr. John directs Life Spa, the 2013 Holistic Wellness Center of the Year in Boulder, Colorado. Thank you again, John, for joining me on Ancestral Health Radio. James, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited because in your bio, there's something there that really, really speaks to what this audience is all about, and that is proving ancient wisdom with modern science. And maybe we could just open that up and you can explain to us exactly what you do over there at Life Spa. That's why I'm so excited to talk to you as well, because when you take health you know, practices that have been used for thousands of years, time-tested, and then you have modern science to back them up, 
that's what I like to write about. And we put out three video newsletters a week at lifespot.com. And, you know, people can get information about ancient principles of medicine and see that there's modern science to back it up. And what's amazing is you would think that there'd be very little science to back up some of these ancient traditional principles, but there are just volumes and volumes of science that just are buried in the journals that no one gets to talk about, that may never make it to medical practice. And that's sort of what I love to do is bring the two together. I noticed that a big part of some of the traditional medicine that you do heavily rely on is something called Ayurveda. Would you mind opening that box up for people maybe who aren't into traditional medicine? Maybe they've never heard that word before. What exactly is Ayurveda? Well, I was always fascinated with traditional systems of medicine. I was studying Chinese medicine when I was in school, and then I had a chance to go to India for a three-week vacation to try to learn their traditional system of medicine in India. Um, ended up staying there a year and a half, closed my practice, and kind of just immersed myself into their traditional practices, which are really, I think, fundamentally connected to the circadian rhythms of nature. So what Ayurvedic medicine, Ayur means life, Veda means truth, it means the science of life, and it's all about how to live in sync with the natural cycles, how to reconnect ourselves with the natural cycles. And then you fast forward recently in a, in a big article in Scientific America, they talked about how, how they're calling it circadian medicine, and it will revolutionize medicine as we know it. And I'm like, wait a minute, traditional people lived every minute of their day yeah. in sync with these natural rhythms, and all of a sudden this is going to revolutionize medicine? That's how far, how far lost we've gotten. Yeah. And that's, that's extremely, extremely interesting. And that's something that we try to do here is keep one foot grounded in modern technology while bringing those ancestral traditions back to life. I feel like you can prove coffee is good or coffee is bad or soy is good or soy is bad. With science, you can prove whatever you want. Mm -hmm. But we have thousands of years of time-tested practice and you have science. We should at least look at that. And that's, how I, and that's what I like to write about. And I think that's, what, that's why I wrote Eat Wheat because there are volumes of volumes of science showing that wheat is not the poison that we're making it out to be. And that there's you know, a, a, a lot of benefit with wheat but, and we may have convicted wheat without giving it a fair trial. And that's what Eat Wheat's all about. Yeah, and you know, I found that quite interesting. And how I heard of you for for the audience's sake was through uh, another podcast with a friend of mine, Ben Greenfield. And there was something on there that you had really mentioned that really struck a chord with me. And it was that humans have, and, and granted, this show is called Ancestral Health Radio. A lot of people may be biased towards wheat, right? So I think they may not understand is that Wheat has been eaten for an extremely, extremely long time. Can you maybe go into that? Yeah, I mean, most experts tell us that we've only been eating wheat for 10,000 years. But the University of Utah and other places, they found uh, C3 and C4 grains, which include wheat and barley, which are loaded with gluten, in the plaque of teeth of ancient humans three and a half to four million years ago. And in that same study, they said that they found that Humans could eat. Remember, Africa at that point was covered with grasslands, loaded with wheat and barley, and they could gather enough wheat berries in an hour to feed them for an entire day. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty good deal when you consider three and a half million years ago, they didn't know how to hunt. We didn't start, most experts agree, we didn't start hunting our own meat, eating our own meat that we hunted until 500,000 years ago. So it's really safe to say that we have way millions more years of genetics to eat wheat than we do meat. However, because most people can't handle wheat and many people can't handle grains, 
the you know the, the backup plan is to just go towards a paleo diet, which includes you know mostly meat, which is interesting. You know we have millions of years less genetics to do it, and that's just the hard science. Now I totally understand people eat wheat; they don't feel bad. And I'd love to get into why that is, but but the reality is we've been eating it for a very very long time. We have microbes in our mouth, esophagus, stomach, small and large intestine that are specifically engineered to make enzymes to digest the gallatins in wheat. But there are certain things that will get rid of those microbes, which include pesticides on our foods, processed foods with, uh, with cooked vegetable oils that use as preservatives to extend the, the, the shelf life of, of bread and shorten our, our life, actually. Um, and those things kill the microbes that make the enzymes to help us digest a lot of other things way beyond just wheat. The most prevalent thing that I hear on the podcast, if we were to take care of one thing for our health, it seems to be the microbiota. It seems to be that the critters inside of us, on us, outside of us, those seem to be the key, the answer. And that's the thing, you know, when we look at our environment, we dump 4 billion pounds of toxic chemicals in the American environment every single year. And... 62 million of them are cancer-causing. There's coal, There's mercury on on every organic vegetable from the coal mine plumes that cover America. Hmm. If we can't digest hard-to-digest foods well like we once were able to, like wheat and barley and nuts and seeds and grains and legumes, then how are we going to break down and digest these toxins that are you know flooding our environment? Very our true. ability to digest well is our linked directly to our ability to detoxify well. So I get it. You feel, feel bad when you eat wheat, take it out of your diet. And that might be a great symptomatic relief for you. But it isn't going to solve the problem. You're just going to, maybe three months later, oftentimes it's something else you can't eat. Then you take that out of your diet. Then you take nuts and seeds out of your diet. Then you take all grains out of your diet. Then you become a vegetarian, a vegan, and a raw foodist. Soon, we keep kicking the real problem down the road. And that's why I wrote Eat Wheat was to say, hey, hey guys, we can reboot and strengthen our digestive system. And it is really important because it's directly linked to our ability to detoxify this in crazy world. And here's something really crazy, James, that, that I, I think is amazing. There's new science that's coming out that's suggesting that these hard-to-digest grains like the anti-nutrients on wheat and, glu and, and gluten and uh, the anti-nutrients on, on nuts and seeds, they actually act as intestinal immune stimulators. Hmm. And there are studies that show that these harder to digest foods we've been eating for millions of years, poisons, tomatoes were poisonous, potatoes were poisonous, and we've been eating these poisonous foods forever. Well, they're really part of our diet and part of our evolution and part of our ability to support and strengthen a really good immune system. And they found that when people eat a gluten-free diet, and as you know, gluten-free diet like celiac folks have a very difficult time getting their nutritional needs met. Mm -hmm. But when they, have, when they measured people who are on a gluten-free diet versus people who ate wheat, they found that people on a gluten-free diet had four times the mercury in their blood than people who ate wheat. In another study, they had way less good bacteria and way more bad bacteria than people who ate wheat. And in another study, they found that people who actually were gluten-free had significantly less killer T cells in measure of immunity than people who eat wheat, suggesting that when we, you know, like you said, sterilize our environment, antibacterial, everything, kill the microbiome, now we're taking all the heart of the digest food out of our diet, making everything so pre-processed, sterilized, easy to digest. We're not triggering an immune response in our gut. Therefore, we're becoming less immune safe. And in the world with 404 billion pounds of toxic chemicals and pesticides on everything, mm. the glyphosate, 
the Roundup that they spray on all, that's all crops in America, they found that to be in 65% of the rainfall. So now we're talking about you know, pesticides on everything, whether it's organic or not. You need a strong digestive system. You need a strong detoxification system. And if you can't digest wheat, one sort of hard to digest food, I'm talking whole wheat, not mm -hmm. the processed version, uh, but, but if you can't digest that, then how are you going to digest the environmental toxins and pollutants? Because our detox is, our, is directly linked to our ability to digest well. And that's why I take people through a troubleshooting process of their digestive system, say, okay, you know, is it your bowel? Do you have constipation, loose stools, heartburn, indigestion, gas, bloating? What is the exact problem that you're having with digestion? What are the foods you're having those problems with? And how can we rebuild, rebuild and repair and reboot those with whole foods? Interesting. So... If we are to rebuild our microbiome and detoxify, which would we do first? Would we want to detoxify first and then build our microbiome, or would it be the Actually, other way around? I think I think it's more like, one, take the stressors out of your diet. Like if you get mm. a flat tire, you get to jack and jack up the car. First thing, stop the processed foods. Stop, eat as much organic food as you possibly can, at least in your own home. Because when you go to a restaurant, you don't get organic food, and you get a, a whole bunch of the cheapest vegetable oils that they use in everything that are literally indigestible. They did a study with processed foods, and I'm talking the big culprit or the, the ingredients on the label you don't, you don't, you don't understand, never yeah, heard you of, can't you can't pronounce, pronounce them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. And the cooked vegetable oils, which they yes. use to, to keep the bread squishy for a month or two, uh, where really artisan, good old-fashioned bread would get hard in a day or two. Mm -hmm. uh, because the bugs eat that, and the, when you take those vegetable oils out of a seed and you bleach and boil and deodorize and refine it, there's nothing left in that oil that can go rancid, but it's rendered completely foreign to us and indigestible to us, and it directly congests our liver and our gallbladder. And the studies show that when people ate processed food, there was a 141% increased risk of what's called metabolic syndrome, which is high blood sugar, high blood pressure, belly fat, high cholesterol, and low good cholesterol. And when the same study, people ate whole wheat and whole grains, they reduced all those by 38%. So step one, like you said, let's get rid of the processed food. You're going to buy a loaf of bread, find a loaf of bread, even at your grocery store if you get a sourdough bread, it could be, it should be organic wheat, salt, water, and an organic starter and whole wheat preferably. But you can find that in most grocery stores, definitely in health food stores, and definitely in many artisan bakeries, but you have to read the labels. It should be organic whole wheat, salt, water, and an organic starter. It could be sprouted or soaked as well. The Ezekiel breads and the bread you find in the, in the mm -hmm. refrigerated section are, are very, very good and they're safe to eat. But when you eat bread three times a week, or wheat three times a week in its processed form for 30, 40, 50 years, we're going to have a problem. And there's study after study after study that shows that whole wheat, not refined wheat, will lower your risk of type 2 diabetes in study after study after study. It has a low glycemic index, therefore it reduces Alzheimer's. I did a really great debate with Dr. David Perlmutter, author of Brain Brain, and we banged the science back and forth on both sides of the aisle. Yeah. And at the end of the day, what David said was, he said, you know, John's right, you know, he doesn't believe in wheat. But he also says that the digestive system is the culprit and that needs to be repaired. And he was, you know, very supportive of the work that I'm doing about helping people reboot their digestive system. That's, so, 
That's great. I mean, Dr. Perlmutter is going to be a, a guest on a future episode as well, too. So Thanks. it'll be great to kind of have those polarizing views and to have you on, I believe, first so that I can have some ammunition later yeah. there you go. so yes. that I can I can uh, have a fighting chance. But because, you know, I you like right now. Yeah. I mean, well, you know, in, in my own diet, I'd like to practice something called metabolic flexibility. So I don't like to practice dogma when it comes to my diet. We're omnivores after all. I just try to be more conscious of the food quality that I put into my body. When you said, you know, creating less of a stress response, detox, and then cultivating a stronger, more biodiverse microbiota, I think that's all very, very important, something that I do on a daily basis, yet I've eschewed or removed all wheat products primarily out of my diet. So would you say that, you know, I have a couple slices of bread a day, or is that like... Is that too much? Would would I want to limit my bread intake? Or how would we go about reintroducing bread or dairy back into our diet? Okay, well, first of all, one of, one of the things we want to do, the troubleshooting of the digestion, which we can put on the back burner for now. But when you begin to reintroduce your diet, you got to remember that everything on this planet is seasonal. Mm-hmm. All foods are harvested. They have a certain harvest time. And uh, interesting, there are microbes in the soil that, attracts, that are attracted to certain plants. That when we eat those plants, those bugs from that soil in that season become our new microbiome. In fact, in the spring as we're in right now, there's a major microbiome surge in the soils that are attracting, that are, that are attaching to plants and roots. And we used to dig up those roots and make burdock root tea and dandelion root tea and drink those as our staples. And they would completely reboot and change the entire microbiome for the spring. They help decongest us in the spring. A new stable of bugs in the summer to help dissipate heat in the summer. Another new stable in the winter to help us boost our immunity for the winter. This is, and there was one study that I just was fascinating. They took deer and they found that when deer eat bark, they do it in the winter time. And they have special microbes to digest bark in the winter. But in the, in the summer, they have microbes that digest um, leaves, really much different microbes. So if the deer were to eat bark in the summer, they wouldn't have the right microbes, and it would cause such a level of indigestion, it would kill the deer. Wow. And I was like, wait a minute. Deer die when they eat out of season? And humans, like, we have, like, no idea. I wrote a book called The Three-Season Diet, all about how to eat within the seasons, and nobody really read the book, so it wasn't. So I, what I did, I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put out a free, a free grocery list and recipe list and superfood list for every single month of the year for free that people can have just to spoon feed folks to get them to eat what's in season that's organic, that has the right bugs from the soil at the right time of the year to reboot your microbiome because the microbiome is your connection, as you talked about in the beginning, to your circadian clock. And science shows that we have lost our connection to the rhythms of nature, the light-dark cycles. We're out of touch. And that is the beginning of the end of a species if you don't connect to what got us here, which is the light-dark cycles. People can get that for free on my website at lifespot.com, and it's, a, it's called the Three Season Diet Challenge, and it's no strings attached. You just get free grocery list, recipes, and superfood lists every month of the year for free. Get, Full get disclaimer, I definitely signed up for it. I'm already a part of oh. that. I've got the past two months' worth of seasonal eating guides. The thing is, it's, it's not like you have to eat only seasonal food, but you want to get sort of medicinal dosages of what nature is delivering for us to get us reconnected at a microbiome level. And the microbiome is what feels everything, right? You know that they, they're super epigenetic. They feel what you think. They feel what you say. They feel threats. They feel danger. They feel yelling. They feel screaming. They feel your emotions. They feel toxins, chemicals, environmental pollutants. And those are all because our little bugs are sending messages to our genetic code. It's called horizontal transformation 
and um, for transportation. I forget what it's called <laughs> now. Anyway, uh, but it's a horizontal process where the, where the bugs send their genetic material that have been altered by like a mutated bug from a pesticide. They send that to our genetic code, and our genetic code goes, whoa, there's some weird stuff happening out there. We better get ready. And that's how we genetically adapt. And when we don't have that connection, we don't genetically adapt. Right. And in order to genetically adapt, too, we, we have to, like you said earlier, we have to be making sure that we're cleansing ourselves properly, right? We're detoxing. Yeah. So one of the interesting points that I think that you make is something, in general, people don't necessarily speak about, which is the lymphatic system. Can you describe exactly what the lymphatic system is and what it does for our body? Three things. Your lymphatic system, number one, is the biggest circulatory system in your body. It's really important. And there are volumes of research in the medical journals about the lymph that may never make it to medical practice, which is just, which is just terrible. That's sad. And it is a number one delivery system for fats to fuel energy to every cell of your body in between every meal. Okay? So it is your main driver of energy, is the delivery of fats, triglyceride fats, to energy to every cell. It is the carrier of your immune system. It detoxifies you. And it also, um, it also helps to, uh, it's, it's your immune system, so it helps your immune system fight, but it also detoxifies you from toxic chemicals and things like hard to digest proteins. So if a, a wheat meal was when eaten in a broken down digestive system and those glutens or environmental pollutants weren't broken down completely in the stomach the way they should be, the molecules are too big to get into the bloodstream and be processed through the blood. They get uptaken into the collecting ducts of your lymphatic system, and they clog the lymphatic system right there and right there at the intestinal tract where 80% of your immune system is. So your immune system is instantly stuck in traffic. The body's trying to deliver those fats from the meal you just ate to fuel the cells, and the, and the road is blocked, and you have a food coma. You feel like you want to go to sleep. You mm-hmm. can't keep your eyes open. Those lymphatic congestion, those lymph, those congested lymphs will push fats, the good fats, into the belly to store that fat as fuel for a rainy day because the road is blocked. Can't get there today. I'll just store till I'll wait till tomorrow, and we slowly get more belly fat. There are lymphs underneath your skin, and when the lymphs around the whole body get congested, we dump the toxins out to our skin as rashes and hives. People get that when they eat wheat, and. There are recently, at the University of Virginia, about three years ago, they found uh, lymphatic vessels in the brain. Ancient wisdom talked about these lymphatic vessels in the brain thousands of years ago. And they, and they talked about them as major detoxifying organs for mental clarity and mental uh, for mood issues. When they found them a couple of years ago at the University of Virginia, they found that these lymphatics dump, drain, Three pounds of toxic chemicals and plaque out of your brain every single year while you wow. sleep at night. Three pounds. And if they're blocked, they have recently discovered that you are going to be directly vulnerable to anxiety, depression, inflammation, infection, autoimmunity, and cognitive decline. Mm-hmm. All of that you can get as sort of the brain drain effect. It's not a brain drain effect. I think it's a brain drain effect. Mm-hmm. The brain is toxic and, and not draining the way it should because of congested lymph around the gut with the lion's share of the lymph in your body is around your intestinal tract. And if that gets congested, one study showed there's three things that age us, that make us age. One, the health and integrity of your intestinal skin. Number two, the lymphatic system that drains your intestinal skin. And three, the bugs that live and depend in, on your intestinal skin and depend on lymphatic drainage for their support. 
And that I call the most important half inch in your body. And we have to repair and detoxify that and make sure there's an environment in there that your good bugs will want to proliferate. But mm. your lymph system is so, so ununderstood. Western medical doctors, all they do is they think about it from a cancer perspective. But the lymph system is really the cause of David Perlmutter's Grain Brain book. Uh, and it's caused by, his book says that wheat causes high blood sugar and therefore Alzheimer's, but it's not actually what the science shows. The science shows that whole wheat has a low glycemic index, lowers the risk of blood sugar issues, and reduces the risk of Alzheimer's by 53% in one study, the MIND study, uh, and 54% in another study, the Mediterranean diet, which was included three servings of whole grains and whole wheat per day. Oh, so wow. it's hard to tell me that when people are eating three servings of whole grains per day, including whole wheat, how can that diet increase Alzheimer's when the study shows it reduces it by 53 or 54%? There's some ammo for you for Dr. Promoter when you have a <laughs> you have your debate with him. How would we detox these systems? How, how do we detox? Well, you know what? Let me back up through Ayurveda and some of the studies that I've done during my time studying those traditional medicines is that they have a lot of these detox systems built into their everyday traditional life ways. So, for example, I hear of one of the older ways of detoxifying the lymph is something called brushing dry brushing specifically, where you would take a boar bristle brush and you would run this boar bristle brush once a day, maybe twice a day along your skin, along these detoxifying pathways towards your heart in a way that would flush your system or rebounding, for example, a couple of these other, other ways of detoxifying the lymph. Well, they're all great. I'll tell you a little, something really interesting, tying some ancient wisdom to modern science. Uh, skin brushing is great. In traditional, in Ayurvedic and ancient India, what they do, they, they would use raw wool or raw silk, and they would do it very, very vigorously to exfoliate your skin. This is for the skin-associated lymphatic tissue, which is the lymph just underneath your skin. That's not by any means the lion's share of the lymph in your body. We'll talk about how to get to those in a minute. Mm. But what they found is that when they do the vigorous brush with uh, silk gloves, it creates static electricity. Oh. And static electricity alkalizes your blood. And as you know, when you alkalize your blood, it moves your lymph. And in the 1920s, in the early 1900s, when, you know, when all the crazy health spas were all over America, mm -hmm. the eclectic medicines and all that, mm -hmm. guess what they had? They had static electricity clinics, so they would basically zap you with static electricity to alkalize your blood oh, interesting. To, get your, to get your lymph to move. So there's a little ancient wisdom, modern science for you, which I just think is fascinating that, you know, how did they know thousands of years ago that if you, you do, if you do the, uh, the, the vigorous massage and you create a little... A spark and a little stratic electricity is even better than just the brush. Here's, a, here's another one I think might be fascinating to your listeners. You, everybody's heard of oil pulling where you put oil in your yes. mouth and you switch it around, right? That, they've been doing that for thousands and thousands and thousands of years for, for oral hygiene, for dental caries, for all kinds of cool things that they thought would, that would help and many other things. Well, recently they found a study, there was a study that showed that when you take coconut oil and you pre-digest it, it actually amps up the antimicrobial anti properties of the coconut oil and has significantly more potent properties. Hmm. So when you put that pre-digested coconut oil in your mouth, it actually kills the bad bugs in your mouth. It actually kills the, the volatile sulfur compounds that cause bad breath. It reduces the plaque in your mouth and does all these amazing things that were predicted thousands of years ago when you oil pull. And when they said to oil pull with coconut oil and sesame oil blend, they said you have to do it not for five minutes or eight minutes and you have to do it for 15 to 20 minutes yeah that's and during what I that heard. 15 to 15 to 20 minutes guess what happens you pre-digest those oils oh, and you amp right. up those properties 
And how did they, that's the part that blows my mind. How did they know? You can't just squish it for two or three seconds because most people just, this tastes terrible, I want to spit it right out. Yeah. But no, you got to keep it in there for 20 minutes and then you get these, these incredible antimicrobial benefits that we now have good science to back up. So, and that's a one way to protect your mouth from bad bacteria. And you know, one study showed that farmers who are breathing pesticide dust have eradicated strains of microbes in their mouth. And those microbes make the enzymes in your mouth, esophagus, small, and large intestine, and stomach that help break down the harder digest foods, including the toxins alike, and also the wheat and the dairy. Yeah, and specifically, there is a seasonal enzyme that I hear that you're talking about that helps break down carbohydrates. Is that correct? Yeah, amylase is an enzyme that we genetically acquired, they think, around 2 million years ago. And amylase is an enzyme that digests starch. A deficiency in amylase is directly linked to what's called Baker's asthma. People who are bakers and they get what's called Baker's asthma is because they don't have enough of this amylase enzyme. Well, as I dug into the research, I found that, guess what? Amylase is a cyclical circadian enzyme. It increases in your body and my body in the fall and the winter, and it decreases in the spring and the summer. Interesting. Just so happens that wheat was harvested in the fall to be eaten in the winter. It was a very, very dense. If you ever ate a wheat berry, they're pretty hard. They're, you know, they're really hard. And mm -hmm. they would grind them with stones and they would break them up, but they would do it you know, throughout. They would last them throughout the winter and it kept them alive probably, actually. Uh, and there's some pretty interesting studies that talk about how this, the grains, which they could store through the winter, are, are one of the reasons why we, we stayed alive. Because you know, we didn't start eating our own meat until, or cooking our own meat or hunting our own meat until 500,000 years ago. What did we do from three and a half million years ago till then? We ate a lot of grain and stored it and ground it up and made a mush out of it. And, and we did that. So, so yeah. And also, what's also interesting, James, is that the parasympathetic nervous system uh, opposite the sympathetic nervous system, which is the fight or flight nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, we call it the rest and digestive, rest and digest nervous system. When you're being chased by a bear, fight or flight, your digestion turns off and your fight or flight turn on. But when your parasympathetic turns on, the running stops and the digesting starts. And they found that the digesting, the parasympathetic nervous system, increases its strength in the winter time when we want more harder to, when we harvest meats and soups and stews and grains and all these legumes and beans and nuts and seeds that have the anti-nutrients on them, that suggests that we really need the fire. And that's an old Ayurvedic premise is that digestive fire is stronger in the winter and it's weaker in the summer. The foods are cooked on the vine in the summer and you don't need a lot of internal heat to cook the food because it's already been cooked for you on the vine. And since in, in Africa, millions of years ago, we were trying to dissipate heat to, as part of our survival. And eating foods and not having to put meat or heavy nuts and seeds in our body that required a lot of heat to break down and digest in the summertime, which could potentially overheat us and end the species, that didn't happen. We had those foods in the winter when we needed the heat, and we had the other foods. And fermented foods are also lactic acid fermentation. They were to preserve the vegetables. They heat the body up. They were done in the winter. You don't need to ferment your foods in the summertime because they were everywhere. You didn't need to preserve them. So they were winter practices, not summer practices. Oh, I love that. That just makes so much sense. It just it, When I hear that, e even if I weren't to read the literature, for me personally, it just has this type of sound logic to it. I know, right? 
Yeah, and you know what? There was something that you mentioned earlier, too, as a matter of fact, that I found pretty interesting that I might want your feedback on is you mentioned that alkalizing the blood. And you can also do this with breathing. Isn't that correct? Uh, yes, you can, actually. In, in fact, that's exactly what uh, one of my first book, Body Minds 4, is all we did research comparing nose breathing to mouth breathing. And we found that when you breathe through your nose during exercise, the brain actually slips into an alpha state, a meditative calm. It handles stress significantly better. Uh, and uh, when, you, when you mouth breathe, <laughs> huff and puff, you're in a fight or flight emergency right there in the woods. <gasps> you run up a tree, save your life. And we live in that fight or flight state. When you breathe through your nose, you do so many cool things, James. It, one, you alkalize your blood. You activate breathing into the lower lobes of your lungs where the predominance of parasympathetic receptors are to tell your body life is not an emergency. There's a vagal response to your brain that slips your brain into an alpha state. So now you're calm in the midst of the in the midst of the stress. It's the runner's high, my best race is my easiest race type of experience. You're composed in the midst of dynamic stressful activity. That's where you wanna wanna live. And new science is showing that when you nasal breathe, it increases the cerebral spinal fluid up and down your spine, which pumps, which is basically lymphatic fluid in your spine. And that cerebral spinal fluid, when you breathe and move and walk, it washes you the brain with, with brain lymph, cerebral spinal fluid, it washes all the toxins out of the ventricles of your brain into the lymphatics that drain the three pounds of toxic chemicals and plaque out of your brain mm -hmm. every single year. So the nasal breathing, and, and ancient people would teach their runners and their, their kids how to breathe. If a kid was lying on their back with their mouth wide open, they turn them on their side, tip their chin, shut their mouth, and teach them how to breathe. Oh, runners, wow. ancient runners would put stones in their mouth or water in their mouth and have them run, you know, the old male runners in Mexico. They would run with water in their mouth and spit it out 10 miles later. Try to breathe your mouth with water in your mouth. Try to breathe through your mouth with stones in your mouth. Yeah. You can't do it. You can't do it. So they even knew. I don't even, I don't even, that's the magical part. And I think you and I are both on the same track. How did they know so much? Yeah, and it's how do we amazing. know so little? I mean, we know a lot. But how did we lose? How, how did we not continue to build on what they knew? That's the, the big, you know, missing link. And, and how did they know that the nose breathing was so valuable? And, and we just... did research on that. It's funny because it just seems so intuitive to them, you know. It just it just seems so intuitive to them. We're we're still grasping at straws, you know. It feels like, you know, we use biomimicry. We look at nature for all of these answers. A lot of the times, we need to just go back and look at our lineage. Look at what has worked previously for the peoples that live sustainably on this planet for quite a, quite a long time. And it seems like that's the way science is going these days. You know, I see more Darwinian type medicine more medicine that are more in tuned with a more holistic approach of living on this planet. And that's, that's why I got so excited. As soon as I heard that podcast with you on Ben Griffith, I said, I knew I had to have John on the podcast. Being on a, a necessarily high fat diet, what I really liked about listening to that episode was that you made a distinction that just because we got rid of fat for the past 30 years, 30, 40 years, it doesn't mean that we need to be going all the way back to high fat, no carbohydrates whatsoever, because that's, that's what got us here in the first place. Well, I mean, there's a lot of debate, you know, on the paleo issue. Talk to, you know, Harvard anthropologists, they'll tell you that there's not, you know, very much nothing, it's, the paleo diet isn't very paleo, paleolithic, you know, that they right. actually did eat a lot of starches and a lot of cereal grains up to 45%. In um, Daniel Lieberman's book, The the, uh, the Story of the Human Body, the Harvard professor did research and found they, you know, uh, 
significant amount of cereal, cereal grains and starches in their diet. And that's why, why else would we have adapted to get amylase two million years ago if right, we weren't eating starches, too. right? I mean, it's hard. You can't say we didn't eat starch and all of a sudden out of the blue got this enzyme genetically adapted to make this enzyme that only does starch. It doesn't make any sense, right? So we know that we did starches, which is really important. And we didn't eat, as you know, uh, we ate meat for sure. And uh, I'm not saying that we shouldn't eat meat, but I think we should have, like you said, a balanced approach. And when you look at nature, if you're living on the land, the springtime, which we're going into right now, is a low-fat time of the year. I mean, the grains are gone. All your, your stores are gone. You're waiting for the roots to come out of the ground, the sprouts to come out of the ground. And it's a very low-fat time of the year. And that low-fat forces you to burn your own fat and detoxify yourself. And that's what this is. I mean, this is a really great detoxifying time of the year. The summertime is a very hot time of the year. And nature provides us with cooling fruits and vegetables to cool us down, high-alkaline foods to help to help that we can eat, you know, throughout the day and, and take fruits and eat them as we go. And then um, and then in the wintertime, the rules change again and and uh, it becomes a higher protein, higher fat time of year. Nuts and seeds and grains and hunting and, and eating more meat and more fat to insulate yourself. Fruits are harvested at the fall for winter eating. Grains at the end of the fall for winter eating. They are lipophilic. These grains and fruits are lipophilic. They're going to make you gain a little bit of weight. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are so paranoid about losing, gaining a little bit of weight in America that they eat a little bit of wheat, they gain weight. But what's usually causing the weight gain is the processed nature of the wheat that you're eating. Because studies show that when you eat whole wheat versus people eat more whole wheat in their diet, they, have, they lose weight. They're, they're less fat than people who actually don't eat wheat. So, so it's sort of interesting how we've just blamed whole wheat or, or wheat on, every, on everybody's problems. And I get it when you, feel, when you eat it, you don't feel bad, but it's the processed nature of wheat and all the foods we eat that have made it very difficult to digest much of anything. And that, is, that should scare people into thinking we should do whatever we can to reboot function. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I keep thinking also, you know, when people mention, or when I mention anything having to do with paleo diet or anything like that, people just automatically assume that it is a very high protein diet, that you eat a lot of meat all the time, which I think that's a big misunderstanding for a lot of people, or the idea that let's just take it back a few hundred thousand years when we were hunter-gatherers. I mean, really, the men would go out and traditionally they would go out hunting, right? But it wasn't always that they would come home with a, a fruitful hunt. It wasn't always that they were bringing protein home. Most of the time it was the women who were doing a lot of the foraging and grabbing these tubers, which you were saying, and things like that, that were actually, I think, more advancing us, you know. Uh, obviously, meat was very important. Also, moving closer to the coastlines, very important. But we need to give credit where it's due, right? Yeah, exactly. I think that, that thank God for the women and the children and the grandparents who stayed home and, and you know, made the, made the men say, you know, they said, well, guys, you know, I think they just made them feel like, don't worry, you know, they can have empty handed a lot, just like you said. And I think the moms and, and the women, they took care of it and they made sure everybody was fed. And in a way, that's probably still happening, you know, and I think that uh, that it's very difficult to hunt with the kind of tools they had to hunt with, you know, and it wasn't easy. And uh, so I think that that meat is something that is very important. Fish is a very important part of our diet. I think is part of the some combination of those two and cooking increased our brain size three times. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. But but uh, to just take grains out of our diet, which are the anti-nutrients, and just sterilize our diet, the science is showing that that's you know pretty problematic. One study showed that Amish kids, for example, they have the lowest rates of asthma on the planet. 
and they have cows as pets and they run barefoot in the barns and they decided to measure the dust that they breathe all day long. And they found it was the dust in the air from these barns that trigger that are stimulants or irritants to the respiratory tract that trigger a respiratory immune response against asthma. Mm. And they literally have the lowest rates of asthma on the planet. And that's my concern is that people are just going down eating foods that are easier and easier and easier to digest. And the more we process them, the more easy they become. The $16 billion a year gluten-free industry now is giving us processed, highly processed gluten-free foods in replacement for whole foods. That's a scary thought. And it's a $16 billion money machine now pushing these foods on us. And we know it's the processed foods that got us here in the first place. And that's where I got to go. I said, you know, we got to we got at least, I have 600 references in my book suggesting all the science suggests that wheat is not a poison, but actually a very healthy food. And, and uh, it's the processed nature of the foods we eat that are, that are terrible. And I think that's what people need, needed to hear. I mean, no one's talking about the science that suggests the, uh, that wheat is anything other than a poison. Uh, say that we did take a questionnaire in the panel and we've kind of narrowed down exactly what we need to be doing. As far as the detox, we do the detox. How would we reintroduce these type of foods back into our diet? Well, one thing is that you have to remember that 60 years ago when they took cholesterol out of our diet, they, to help you know, solve heart disease, which now we know had nothing to do with heart disease, they gave us these refined vegetable oils. And what they have done is they have congested our liver and our gallbladders. And gallbladder surgeries now is the number three surgery in America. Uh, the gallbladder is an organ that makes bile, and bile is like a Pac-Man that gobbles up toxins and chemicals and fats and parasites and preservatives and cleans everything up. And the bile also buffers the acid in your stomach. So if you eat a ham sandwich, for example, the stomach says, okay, I, got, I, got a, I need a lot of acid to break down the wheat in this ham sandwich, and, and I need a lot of bile to buffer the acid that I'm making here, and I need a lot of bile to neutralize all the fat in the ham part of this ham sandwich. And the stomach has a message. I said, I need four ounces of bile. And the liver goes, whoa, we're really congested down here. We can't do it. Mm. So the stomach says, well, I'm just going to hold on to everything for a little while. And hopefully you guys get your act together and let me know when the green light goes on. And the stomach holds on to all the acid in the food. And it gives you indigestion, heartburn, uh, burping, gas, and all these problems. And eventually the stomach says, uh, I got to let this stuff go. And it lets the food go undigested, and the acid can rip and irritate your intestinal tract and cause, cause all types of problems in your, with your intestinal microbiome. So if your bile is not being produced in significant quantities, and here's an interesting you know, ancient wisdom fact. The bile inside your gallbladder is 15 to 20 times concentrated than the bile you make in your liver on demand, right? 15 to 20 times concentrated. Huge sack of bile. Why do we need a huge sack of bile that's 15 to 20 times concentrated? That's for the brains of a woolly mammoth in one sitting. And you know when hunter-gatherers would go out and hunt, they'd kill the animal. They'd have to eat all the fatty stuff right then and there because it would go bad so quickly. So they would eat that right there at the, at the kill site. And as a result, they would eat all the fatty foods first at a huge, at a huge portions in one sitting, and all that bile was required. But since they took cholesterol out of our diet and saturated fats are gone, we've been eating a really highly processed, terrible fat diet, but, but that fats that we can't digest, but no real good fats in our diet to really challenge the gallbladder. One study showed that, that, that uh, a low-fat diet is the one major cause of gallbladder disease. Mm. 
So when the gallbladder gets congested, you can't break down fats, toxins, environmental pollutants, or pesticides. You can't deliver good fats to your brain to keep your mood stable so you get depressed. You store the bad fats in your fat cells so you get fat, you get overweight, and it literally breaks down your digestive system because without, without good bile flow, you can't buffer the acid. So the stomach over time says, hey man, you guys haven't made any acid in such a long time. I'm gonna stop producing the acid to match the lack of bile you have. Mm. You, your, your bile and acid and acid and bile go together. If you have no bile, you're not gonna make any acid, no acid, no bile, no bile, no acid. So all of a sudden the whole stomach and liver production of acid and bile, all and pancreatic enzymes, all dial down. And now you're in a situation where you don't have the digestive strength to cook the wheat or the meat or the grains or the nuts or the seeds or the legumes, and they become problematic. And what do we do logically, right? Hey, this makes me feel bad, so I stop eating it. Yep. I get it. Yes, it's logical, but it's not the solution. The solution is to reboot your biofilm. How do you do that? A couple of really easy things to do. Start every day with a juice or a blended drink of, of beets, apples, and celery. Those are called cologogs. Cologogs increase bioflow. And that's what we need to do is start to do, give our, our liver and our gallbladders food. Diabetes, type 2 diabetes, the epidemic of our time today right now, mm -hmm. is a liver condition. It is not a pancreatic condition. Metformin, the number one best-selling drug for type 2 diabetes on the planet, is a liver drug. It does nothing for your pancreas. So remember that. Yeah, there's more it's cases the, of fatty liver than ever now. Isn't that correct? So, and here's, what, here's why, James, is that the liver bile duct, before it goes into the small intestine, it hooks up with the pancreatic duct in 91% of the people. So the two tubes, the pancreas is delivering digestive enzymes, mm -hmm. and the bile is delivering bile. And the two tubes can connect, and then they go in the small intestine. And if the bile is thick and viscous and congested from all the processed foods, then the road is blocked. And the pancreatic enzymes are still being made, but where do they go? They back up into the pancreas, and they eat and digest the pancreas. Oh. And they cause pancreatitis. And the bile is trying to get in there, can't get in there, and it backs up on all those fats, they go back to your liver. And you get a fatty liver. So both tubes are just backfalling into the liver and the pancreas. This is dangerous, right? Absolutely. And all you gotta your liver do is the big detoxifier. So instead of taking a digestive enzyme, instead of taking bile salts, instead of taking hydrochloric acid, why don't we just open up the tubes, clean them out, rotor rooter them out, increase the flow of your own pancreatic enzymes, your own bile flow, and turn on the digestive fire. So here's how you do that. Beets, apple, celery juice first thing in the morning. Try to drink, eat a beet a day. Artichokes are phenomenal cologogs. Fenugreek, a phenomenal cologog, increases the contractibility of your gallbladder by 75%. Turmeric increases the contractibility of your gallbladder by 50%. So all those will amp up your gallbladder in a big, major way. And then, once you get all those tubes opened up and cleaned out, cinnamon's really good to clean out the gallbladder and the pancreatic ducts as well. You then go to the stomach and you take five spices, ginger, cumin, coriander, fennel, and cardamom. And those five spices have been shown individually to be like amazing for your digestion. Each of them have all good, all kinds of science to support their digestive benefits. But when you put them all together, something magical happens. They, they help you make your own stomach acid, hydrochloric acid. Oh, Helps you okay. make your own bile, your own pancreatic enzyme. So instead of saying, here, take an enzyme and do the job for you, what I want to help people do is get reset so they can do it on their own, not be dependent on the, the next pill cause. and the powder. Yeah, hey, absolutely. Don't use a band-aid. So as you become older, you don't become more dependent on more stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's the 
crazy thing. We just take more pills and powders and never get become, never reboot function. And just because we're getting older doesn't mean we can't reboot function. We absolutely can. But if your tubes are blocked, your gallbladder tubes are blocked, then how is your how are your digestive enzymes going to get to the small intestine? They're not. So you're going to you're going to take a digestive enzyme. You're going to feel better, and you're going to think I don't make digestive enzymes. It's not true. You're just not being delivered. Okay, because I heard that over time. I mean, your your digestive enzymes do um, do they weaken? Over time, as we age, you know, if you have blocked tubes and they're and the enzymes are starting to eat the pancreas, your pancreas will probably stop making them. Mm-hmm. Right? You're not gonna you're not gonna you're not gonna keep making loads of enzymes if you, they're killing you. Right. So there is a feedback loop that the body protects itself, just like when you don't make any bile, the stomach says, "I'm gonna stop producing acid." Well, if you would then start increasing bioflow, some would say, yeah, let's make some acid. There's bile down there. We got a green light. Let's make this thing happen. Let's cook some food. <laughs> right. right? What you just recommended, it is a juice plus different types of herbs that are going to help restoke our metabolic fire. Yeah. Spices, you know, okay. ginger, cumin, Spices, corn, excuse me. Yes. Cardamom. Right. Herbs, too. Herbs are great, too. Herbs are, you know, a little more medicinal, but they're very, very important and to help reset. And I talk about them in the book as well. But I try to give people foods and spices and things that, that, you know, we can find in the grocery store the best I can. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's great. Um, w- there was something else. There was one last little concoction, I believe, that I, I heard you mention also. And it had to do with slippery elm, licorice, wow. and one other thing. And I think it was, a, it was a, a combination of things that help create a slime or a... Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Kind of like chia seeds, I'm assuming, that would basically coat the lumen or the intestinal lining of your stomach. Is, is that, would yeah. you mind maybe sharing a little bit of that? It's a, it's a slippery elm, marshmallow root, and licorice root tea, and that's all slimy, soluble fiber. Now, if we go back to our ancient hunter-gatherer ancestors, they ate 100 grams of fiber per day. I know, that's Average amazing. American Average American, what, 15 to 20 if you're lucky, yeah, right? if you're lucky. So we're talking, they had five times the amount of fiber that, you know, in their diet. And the only way to really get that fiber is beans are really critically important. If you're trying to get even 50 grams of fiber in a day, you're not going to eat, no way you can do it without even beans in your diet because they're so much more fibrous than, say, vegetables would be. Um, but this, this uh, tea is a fibrous tea of soluble fiber. And what the soluble fiber does is it, coats and protects and seals your whole intestinal tract. It's like a, a, we take the, the three tablespoons of the mixture of each of those chopped herbs, not ground chops. We soak them in two quarts of water overnight, boil them down to a half a quart in the morning, strain it through a metal strainer. Now you have this thick, viscous, slimy tea. You take tablespoon dosages throughout the day for a month to coat your whole intestinal tract like the Pepto-Bismol commercial where it gets mm-hmm. all coated with the pink stuff, right? Yeah. And then it slimes your whole intestinal tract and protects it. It becomes prebiotic slime. The mm. good bugs love that stuff. The bile attaches to that fiber, and that fiber takes it to the toilet. If you don't have that kind of fiber in your intestinal tract, the bile, which is the Pac-Man gobbling up all the toxins, 94% of that bile with all the toxins in tow get reabsorbed back to your liver, dump the toxins into your liver, into your blood, into your liver, oh. causing fatty liver and all kinds of problems. So without fiber, you know, all the stuff that should have gone into the toilet end up back in your liver, your blood, your arteries, and that, your brain, your fat cells, not good places. So that's why they had 100 grams, right? And that's what got us here. 
And so we really need to make an effort. But but a lot of people have a hard time with fiber because your intestinal structure is so broken down. So this is a super gently, kind and gentle fiber that you make. And you, coat, you do that for about a month. And then you lay down uh, with that some colonizing probiotics that repopulate. Mm-hmm. And then you also want to support your lymphatic system, which, remember, starts right on the inside of your intestinal tract. You want to get lymphatic benefits. And, and how you clean your lymph is with... Uh, Natural antioxidants, anything that would make your skin turn red, like dye your clothes, like uh, like um, blueberry, raspberry, strawberry, blackberry, pomegranate, um, beet, um, cranberry, any of those red kind of uh, foods that would be used as dyes traditionally are powerful lymphatic movers. The herbs that we use uh, are one is called red root. It was used as a dye. Another one in India called mangista, which means translated red root. So all these red roots that were used for dyes, those are powerful lymph movers. So that's what you want to keep your eyes open for. Are you a fan of rebounding by chance? Absolutely. You know, rebounding and moving, you know, hunter-gatherers, would they walk like 9 to 12 miles per day? And here's the thing, right? If you don't move your body, the big lips that are in your muscles that move with muscular contractions, and you sit in front of a desk all day, and there's all science, all, so, many, so much science now about not doing that, right? Mm-hmm. But if you don't move your body enough, those big lips that are trying to drain, when you go to, and they don't drain during the day because you haven't moved, those big lips will drain the microscopic lips that are draining the three pounds of toxic chemicals and plaque out of your brain and central nervous system every year while you sleep at night. So no wonder we're, our brains aren't draining because we're not moving the body, moving the body, rebounding the body, exercising, nasal breathing exercise to get the whole CSF thing moving. All that makes huge sense to then when you go to sleep at night, you can sleep. You're not sitting there with a backlog of toxic chemicals in your brain. And when you wake up, you feel refreshed because your lymphatic system has been moving through the night and you don't wake up stiff and achy and, and congested first thing in the morning. So yeah, the, those moving your body and rebounding is critically important for your brain because of the brain drain effect at night while you sleep. I love that, the brain drain effect. Now to tie this all in together, maybe we can just give a brief summary of what we went over today. You talk about primarily grains. They're not to be feared. We have been consuming them for thousands and thousands of years. And that it's very, very important that we learn how to reintroduce them by learning how to take care of our body, essentially detoxing some of the systems, specifically the lymph, the gallbladder, the pancreas, and the liver, so that they can free up the bile, they can free up the beneficial bacteria that can then allow us to absorb some of these anti-nutrients on a hormetic level. Hormetic meaning small stressors, small acute stressors that can build an immune response in the body. Right, so we want to detoxify, we want to refeed with the proper, sounds like fibers a a lot of the time, a lot of the beneficial fibers for our bacteria. And then we want to make sure that we're also eating seasonally with the right kinds of foods. Exactly, absolutely. It's a, a, you know, it might sound overwhelming, but basically when you think about, number one, get rid of the processed foods. Number Mm -hmm. two, eat as much organic food as you can. Number three, Stop adding eating foods with a lot of added sugars. Get rid of those. Uh, number four, in your house, throw away all the safflower oil and the sunflower oil and the canola oil. All those guys will get rid of those. Out of your fridge, get it out of your cupboard. If you want to cook, cook with coconut, ghee, butter. Use a really good quality olive oil to put on your foods. Get your fats that way. Uh, and then, you know, that will help you because when you go to a restaurant, you can't avoid those things. 
And, those, and then, you know, make sure when you are looking for breads that the ingredients are extremely simple. You know, wheat, salt, water is all you need to make bread. That's it. Yeah. Um, if it's that simple, too, uh, we would recommend that you make the bread at home. Uh, yeah, I have two really amazing sourdough recipes for making your own bread in my book as well, because that's a great strategy. And it is fun. It's hard. It's a trick. It's fun. It's hard. You learn how to do it. Bread is weird. It's got its in, in and outs. <laughs> yeah. uh, but it's a really fun process to learn how to do. Yeah. So I spent all this time cultivating all this knowledge, and it's funny because my, my partner and I, she's... Uh, you know, she is on the same diet, quote unquote, that I'm at, that I am. And, you know, as soon as I had mentioned you and that, hey, you know what, maybe I want to buy a culture, you know, let's start trying out some sourdough bread. She's like, her eyes got all big and she's like, what, what do you want to do? <laughs> you know, until I, I started describing some of the things that you and I are talking about today. But, you know, for her, I think it takes a little bit more convincing, but I'm hoping that's what this episode is going to do, not only for our audience, but also for my girlfriend. So... <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. I just did an interview with another, uh, uh, the, uh, the author of The No Grain Diet, Dr. Uh, Joe Mercola. And, I love uh, Dr. Mercola. And he was an anti-grain guy forever, and we had this great, I met him in India years ago, so I got a, and, and got a chance to connect with him. We did this podcast. You can watch it on my website as well. And um, he's baking his own bread now. He's the guy who wrote The No Grain Diet. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? He's baking his own bread. So, so I think this is somewhat of a trend and a wave and a fad and potentially a dangerous fad. You know, the no cholesterol diet was a right. dangerous fad. So we have to be aware of these fads. And now, now it's a $16 billion a year gluten-free industry. We should be even more suspicious. What's really pushing this now? Is, it, is it our health or is it the money's behind, the dollars behind it? Right. You know? Well, John, I just want to thank you again for sharing your time with us. And I think it's been extremely enlightening, both for myself and for the audience, to learn about some of these practices. Because, uh, again, I, I think you're one of the only people that I know of that is really, really kind of bringing this to the forefront. So I'm very, very appreciative for the work that you're doing and for the work that you put into your book, Eat Wheat. So uh, I would definitely suggest the audience go out there and, and go to your library, buy the book, get it on uh, Kindle, do whatever you need to do. But Again, educating yourself and then more importantly, taking action, getting that dirt time in there and really experimenting. I want to see some pictures. I want to see some, uh, some sourdough recipes being made on my Instagram. Okay, people? So <laughs> shoot them my way. Maybe tag Dr. Duyard in there and we, we, can, uh, we can start building this, this movement together as well. That it's all about flexibility and detox, making sure that we have a healthy balance of the right kinds of food. So... Again, John, thank you so much for spending your time with me this morning. It's been extremely enlightening, and I hope that you and I continue to develop our relationship together. I would love it. I was so thrilled to see your website and to see what you're doing, and I think we both discovered each other uh, you know, at the perfect time. I, I am a, I'm a big fan, and uh, I'd love to stay connected. Let's do that. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Ancestral Health Radio. If you like the podcast, then do me a quick favor and head over to iTunes to leave an honest rating and review of the show. This helps improve the show's ranking and visibility with other would-be hunter-gatherer gardeners just like yourself. But if you can't do that, I'll totally understand. We're still cool. But maybe you could share this episode on your favorite social media network, or at the very least, continue the conversation with myself and the tribe on the official Ancestral Health Radio Facebook page. But whatever you do, remember 
remember to check out all the resources mentioned earlier in this episode by reading the show notes at ancestralhealthradio.com. Yep.